Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. They like itchy. They like scratchy. One kid seems to love the Speedo, man. What more do they want? Conversations about collaboration, episode 69. Christine McHone joins me today. She's a Slack capability leader at Slalom, a management consulting firm. We geek out on Slack, organizational change, and flexible work. Let's get it on. Christine, live from San Francisco. How's it going over there? Oh, it's great, Phil. Thanks for having me today. Your title amazes me. Uh, For the listeners, can you explain where you work and your official title? Because I I, I don't know if I've ever fallen in love with a job title before, but this is pretty damn close. Oh, that's so amazing. So um, I'm at Slalom and my official role is Slack Capability Leader. I love that because having written Slack for Dummies didn't take me long to plug one of my own books. There's so much more to it than just, oh, it's a replacement for email. I really feel like it can change the way that we work. And it sounds like in a nutshell, your job involves getting people to realize that and then making that happen. That's right. It's amazing. So um, as you probably know, Solemn is a consulting firm. So we have about 14,000 employees uh, across the globe. And what I'm doing is basically empowering those consultants to think with the Slack first approach. So as they're working with their clients to solve business problems and that client is or is not on Slack, it's thinking, okay, how could we solve this in Slack? And it's it's a dream coming from Slack in my former role to have this ability to spread and evangelize Slack. You're almost like a Trojan horse. You get in there, right? And then you have um, a way of getting others to use it. Not that everyone will, because people can be stubborn, but what are some of the features that people didn't realize were there? that they find most valuable? Well, I think everyone's on a different path um, in their in their Slack journey. So while you have some within any particular organization that are, you know, know all the bells and whistles that come into Slack, there's some basic features that maybe a new joiner doesn't necessarily um, know the full power of. And I would say Workflow Builder is probably one of those features out of the box within Slack that is uh, not utilized to its full power um, because it's, you know, you have to go looking for it, but it is one way that can really automate and streamline uh, work that you do every day. So that that's probably a big one, I would say, Workflow Builder. And then a secret one, it's not really so secret. Developers know about it, but it's um, BlockKit. So it's an, um, a feature that you can use to really customize and make messages really stand out and pop in, in channel. And that feature is really good for folks um, in internal comms or anyone that really wants to amplify their message in Slack. Hmm. Do you have problems with people who say, look, you can get me off of email, but I prefer Teams or Google Workspace or Meet or whatever they're calling it these days, and they won't meet someone halfway? I, I know that I've, I've said, look, as long as we don't use email, I'll use whatever collaboration hub you have. But some people will not get off of their you know, there, there are Microsoft team shots. So even if they wanted to use Slack, the yeah, IT has blacklisted it or something. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I'm fortunate right now that a lot of the folks that we are talking with are current Slack customers or are you know willing to explore Slack as their go-to solution. But I would say that you know if you are a Microsoft shop and you have some of those um, Office 365 tools, there's so many integrations where it can plug right into Slack. So if you're an Outlook user, if you're a OneDrive user, uh, you don't really have to make a choice. You can integrate those tools right into Slack. I also see that you're a big fan of emojis. And I'll admit that when I first started using Slack, I was a college professor and I thought, is it unprofessorial of me to use an emoji? <laughs> but I've come full circle, um, whether you're delivering bad news or um, I just, I don't need to see the response if it's just yes, right? Give me a thumbs up emoji, right? And then it, plus it aggregates it. So if eight people put thumbs up or then you can use the, the polling features like simple poll, um, which is probably a better way of collecting that kind of information. Um, I've done a complete 180 on those. And even when I use tools like Notion, they just, when you set up a page, you can do the emoji and then they just drop this week icons um, instead, which they imported, I think, from a, a third-party website. But um, I, I actually, I like that. And it makes it seem less like work to me. Yeah, I mean, I wrote an article about how I was completely... Adverse to the use of emojis in the workplace when I first joined. So prior to joining Solemn, I was with Slack for um, about three years in their customer success and sales organization. And I had not really used emojis before I started at Slack. So I really had to retrain all my thinking on the use of emojis in the workplace. And so when I came over to Solemn, I don't know how my <laughs> leaders would feel about this per se, but one of the first things I really needed to do was bulk up the amount of emojis in the Slack instance at Solemn because I, over the years, have really leaned on them to um, enhance my messaging. So I spent you know, a good amount of time just loading up these mm. emojis that I used in my day-to-day, -day. Um, but also I but going back to the business purpose of them. So there's the language enhancer piece, but then they actually get work done. So in Workflow Builder, as an example, similarly, I think probably to the example from Notion, you can react with messages uh, in a Slack channel uh, built by Workflow Builder that, that um, will perform some tasks. So I've used that emoji reaction workflows to do anything from sending an FAQ document to somebody to sending them, you know, a nice um, message to welcome, welcoming them to the team, to um, automating the way that I was giving away um, redemption codes for an event that we were holding. Mm. So emojis are really, really powerful in Slack. And if you can get that much out of an emoji, it just makes you wonder what else you can do with the API and the other tools that they have. And the example that you just gave, Christine, I really like because you automated something that would have been manual and you didn't have to write any code to do that. No, it's a no code solution to automating your work. It's so easy. And it takes building workflows in Slack, um, just simple workflows. You can do it within a minute. Yeah, it's remarkable. I, I built a few for clients and they looked at me like I was from another planet. I said, no, it's just there. But but I agree. Sometimes people are so busy trying to keep up with everything that they don't have time to explore. Say, oh, what's this do? I, I don't have time. Or even if it's absolutely understand it, they don't have time to mess around with it or test it or get other people to use it. So they wind up doing a lot of manual work for something that could have been automated, which it doesn't even require coding, or let's say that there isn't a native 
uh, integration or automation a tool like Zapier or Automate.io. I mean, I'm I'm really intrigued. Even Microsoft with um, they used to call it Flow. I forget what they call it now, but similar types of things. Basically, writing rules if this then that without having to code, and it's it's really powerful what these things can do. Um, I think I drive people crazy at companies because they go, "Well, we can automate this," and they go, "Well, you know, we we don't want to automate it." And I just say, oh, well, why? "Why why would you spend two hours a week on something if it can be?" Two minutes. Yeah, there was this, just today actually. I met with a team and they were working on a strategy for kind of hosting almost like a watch party in Slack for an upcoming event. And so we're going to have a particular channel dedicated to this event. And throughout the session, they wanted to keep up audience engagement. Um, and so they want to have you know people posting photos of them at the event or, you know, what was your favorite session or, oh, hey, there's a a reminder for an upcoming session. And so their original plan was just to post these in channel, you know, here's the list of today's events. And I said, you know, you can actually build workflows where you can prompt people um, to post, you know, photos and thread or post their feedback, you know, based on these prompts. And then separately, you can also build workflows to remind folks of upcoming sessions with links that would send them out to the meeting. And they had no idea. And they said, though, this is a wonderful, we were trying to strategize on how we were actually going to keep the channel um, activity up while taking photos and running around the event ourselves. This is going to save us so much time. We can just sit back and relax. And I was like, yes, this is the power of Workflow Builder. It's amazing. Yeah. I I had Lizzie Lawrence on my pod a couple of weeks ago, and she's a reporter at Protocol. They do a really good um, newsletter on the future work, and they've got other verticals or whatever you want to call them. And I was asking her about an article she wrote about a guy who was going to take a job at a company, but they used Microsoft Teams. And he thought about it over the weekend. On Monday, he emailed the recruiter and said, I just can't do this. I'm a Slack person. Couldn't you argue that the tools that the organization uses and the way that it uses a particular tool like Slack is very much a window into your colleagues, its culture, and quite frankly, how everyone views work? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a whole um, consortium that talks about this. I'm I'm sure you're probably aware of. Well, I know you are because you've met with Brian Elliott from Future Forum that do talk about um, having the right tech stack in place and, and what that um, what that will enable your organization from um, retention of employees to more sense of um, inclusion and sense of belonging. So I think that it's, it's imperative that you have the right tools in place. And it does show that you're forward thinking if you do have a, a tool like Slack in place. Um, those things matter to you. And you're seeing that this truly is the future of work. This is how people want to work. Yeah, I noticed that you're reading his book as well. I just name dropped uh, Brian in a, a webinar that I gave from my alma mater, Carnegie Mellon, last week. Um, the um, tools to me, I just I just been fascinating. And um, on that webinar I gave, someone had asked about ways to onboard people. I said, look, I'm not a recruiter or an expert on staffing, but if I join a company and immediately have 27 emails from HR, my manager, with things to do, I'm already starting out overwhelmed versus if it were all maybe set up with Workflow Builder as on day one, we're going to send you this and day two, we'll send you that, but I can consume it at my own pace. Or if I join the marketing department, I can go into the marketing channel and at my own pace, look at the conversations that people had over time. 
I don't have any data to back this up, but intuitively, it seems to me like I'd be less likely to be overwhelmed from the get-go. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, there's so many um, applications out there that also, they get it, right? That is, you are overwhelmed and how can we simplify that? And the one, I guess the one that comes to mind first is is Donut. I'm sure you've heard of that one too, Phil. Yeah, that one. Um, Slack even uses that for their own um, onboarding, where it does provide those small nuggets of information, day one, day two, day three, and and kind of paces out your onboarding experience so that you're not overwhelmed. Well, that's interesting. I When I used Donut messing around for Slack for dummies, I thought that it would just sort of spin the roulette wheel and match you up with Christine in the IT department and you could have a virtual lunch. It It does more of that other stuff now, too. Oh yeah, it oh, it cool. will. It, there's so much functionality within Donut. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I can see how people say I don't have time to learn another tool. <laughs> but when you think about the, the resistance I've encountered many times over my career, um, that you know, look, I I found a way to do this. Um, it may not be the prettiest way, but it works. Even if it's inefficient, even if things routinely fall between the cracks. I mean, I don't know. It just. It, I'm an athlete of that type of thinking. A million years ago, when I worked in HR for a big pharma company in New Jersey, they said that about 60% of the transactions had to be processed retroactively. Mm. I said, okay, what are people doing about that? Because that's, I mean, you don't have to be a Six Sigma expert to realize that if your process fails three times in five, your process sucks. I said, <laughs> no, it's just the way it is. Mm. And I just, I, I couldn't abide that. And I, I got paranoid at that job thinking, you know, if I stay here, this will be my mindset, right? That, you know, hey, this one worked. <laughs> Whoopee versus, you know, something that would work, you know, nine times out of 10 minimum. I don't know. I just, I, I the, the, the mindset, I think, um, and I, I'm wondering if you're seeing this at Slalom, uh, in, in a way governs the tools. Because I think if you've got what Carol Dreck would call growth-oriented mindset, and from what I know of you, you do, and I do, oh, cool, there's a new way to do something. That's awesome. Or there's a new, new app. I'm messing around with Notion. Look what this can do. Versus, nope, we do it this way. That's the only way we do it. I just, I, it, it feels like I'm losing oxygen. No, you know, I was that I wasn't always this way. I was stuck. I was stuck. Um, I had my way of doing things and that was the way that I knew to do them. And I was able to be successful doing them the way that I had always done them. And a lot of that came through Word documents and emails. And I would say that I, I'm very empathetic to those that are, kind of delayed on the journey to move into this new way of working because I was, I was there. And one of the reasons why I decided to, to leave my, um, oh, I guess I didn't mention that before joining Slack. I was with um, Accenture for about 15 years. And it was only when I, I was at this moment in my career with Accenture where it was like, do I stay or do I kind of venture out? And I decided, okay, I'm going to venture out. And that decision really came to play because 20 years earlier, I had started my career with America Online. And I thought, man, 20 years ago, I was really at the cusp of what, what was happening technology-wise, communication-wise. And then, you know, all that excitement. And I and I walked away from it. And then I ended up, I mean, I loved Accenture. I loved the work that I did there. But I felt like I'm a little afraid. Here I am in San Francisco, and I'm afraid to go work at at a tech company. So joined Slack, and it took me a few months, Phil, before that aha moment came to me, where 
I could not imagine ever going back to the way that I was working before. And so all of those years, almost two decades of the way that I was working, just thrown out the window, but it was because I couldn't visualize it. And then I got to, I got to live in it and breathe in it and work in it during that period of adjustment. And now I'll never go back. It's a journey. Yeah, and, and I understand why in some companies you're not allowed to use certain tools, right? And they're collaboration tools or communication tools. You know, collaborate or communicate with yourself. So you could argue if I'm going to spend this time setting up a Slack workplace and different channels and trying to get people to use it and no one uses it, like an experience I had after I left the pharmaceutical company, um, what's the point? And I, and I know that people prefer different tools, but I was just on a podcast for someone and a nice enough guy. But just the tools that he was using to quote unquote collaborate didn't make any sense to me. So he's sending me a PDF of the questions and I'm going, well, you want some feedback on these, right? Or are they just set in stone? Because to me, that choice of a PDF means they're set, right? Now, it's not that hard to edit or mark up PDF. So I wound up putting in some comments and then he sent it to me again as attachment and, and I put it in Dropbox and just sent a link because my mindset is if I discover an error in a file, I don't want to have to send another email attachment if I catch it quickly enough. Right. I can just change the file and the link's still the same. So I don't know. I think there's just a mindset that, you know, again, isn't necessarily the right one, but the one that's consistent for me. And I would imagine that when you're hiring people at Slalom, I mean, are you looking for those types of examples of people who have embraced new tools? Because it sounds like a big part of your job is getting people to wait for it, embrace new tools. Yeah, I think we're really fortunate to have and work with um, amazing individuals that are forward thinking when it comes to technology. So, I mean, Slack is just one component of a bigger um, tech stack within Solemn and, and experts across just about every tool you can imagine. There's somebody in Solemn who's an expert. So I'm really fortunate in that regard. But I would say that, um, you know, we're still on... We're, everyone's still on different journeys, right? So just trying to accommodate for that. So how we've kind of solved for that internally is you have um, a Slack channel that that um, showcases some of the Slack functionalities, kind of basic Slack 101, and then having opportunities to explore uh, some of the developing that you can do in Slack. So we've, we have a developer community that's spun up and then we have constant learning. So people can come in and go, um, as they're on their different their different learning paths. So I think not having a set structure in place that focuses on just overall, not just Slack, but any tool enablement um, is doing a, a disservice to your organization and your employees because they want to learn. They they need some support in doing that. So we've made sure that we've set that up. I think that's a key point though. It's one thing to want to learn, but the people have the time and energy to do it. And even though I would argue that Slack is pretty damn intuitive, Right. I don't, it doesn't mean I wrote a book on it. Maybe I'm not that smart, but do people have the time? And I've seen more than once during the pandemic, people reach out to possibly do training with me for their employees. And when we start to talk about the, yeah, forget it. We'll just figure it out. And, and I just wonder if people are really busy, um, are they going to take the time to do it or is that going to stick? And conversely, if the company did provide training, no, if you can get a 40% raise, you're probably out the door, but if it's a, an offer for a five or 7% raise and you like your colleagues and your job and the company invests in training, is that going to make, make you less likely to walk? 
Yeah. I mean, I would say that Slack is one of those tools where, you know, you can plug it in and it'll start working. But if you really want to maximize your investment as a decision maker who brought this tool into your organization, then you have to be intentional with how you're rolling it out to your employees. And so you don't want to have, I, <laughs> my colleague today said that without the equivalent of not being intentional with your Slack launch is like throwing a box full of ping ping pong balls into a room. And I thought that is the best analogy because that is really what it, what it feels like if you're not intentional with your Slack rollout. So um, it's worth the investment. It's worth the time. It's worth carving out the time to your employees to really get them enabled on a powerful tool like Slack. Apart from dedicating a channel to tips and maybe setting up recurring messages, right? Slap kick of the week, tip of the week or something. Um, any other tips for organization that are getting started, not just with Slack, but with any other, what I would call internal collaboration hub, uh, Microsoft Teams, a Google Workspace, a Workplace by Facebook. I think they're still calling it that or Meta. I'll never get over that. Yeah. Uh, but to the extent that you are getting people to make a fundamental change in how they communicate and possibly collaborate with others, what are just some tips for folks to get the most out of whatever tool they're using? Yeah, I think one is, you know, you need to understand how how your folks are using Slack. So take the time to um, understand their use cases and how has it changed the way that they're getting work done? Can you put some real savings and real dollars behind that? Um, I think that goes a long way in, in making sure that you're feeling really good about this investment that you made, but also um, taking that time to learn and, and share those stories out. Can You can give that aha moment to other employees as well. So if somebody's made this really cool workflow that saved them 20 hours a week and another team, maybe somebody in finance sees something that marketing did, um, not only are you going to uh, benefit other departments, but you're going to have that cross-functional collaboration. It's going to bring in um, that sense of belonging. So you you have people from finance and marketing that may never have had a chance to get to know each other, but through Slack and through this workflow, they've come together. So there's, um, I would say that there's that piece of just making sure that stories are being told and also um, kind of create these communities where we we have channels um, internally where it's just the, as an example, the Slack community where um, advocates of Slack internally are going in there, they're sharing best practices, what they're doing. And if they're trying to solve problems through Slack, that's the place that they go to to see if anybody else has encountered this um, or solutions that they've developed or maybe app recommendations. So having dedicated spaces um, where organizations, employees can come together to solve problems on their own too, really fosters that cross-functional collaboration. But again, that inclusiveness that just comes with a tool like Slack. Mm -hmm. Are there departments in your experience that have gravitated more towards tools like Slack? I think in this, you know, historically within um, the journey and evolution of Slack, is it easily adopted by the tech and dev space? That's number one, always. But what I've loved to see, what I've loved seeing over the past several years is the embrace and understanding that internal comms is a powerhouse and Mm. showcasing best practices, um, working on um, kind of being the the guides of how do you Slack at, you know, company um, XYZ. 
they are they play such a critical role in overall adoption as well. And then I would say um, the unsung heroes of Slack usage within an organization are executive assistants. By far, the number one most important group of folks to embrace Slack, because if they're using it, it means their executives are using it. And if the executives are using it, then all the employees are using it. Oh, 100%. If if an executive didn't have an assistant or didn't have the assistant funnel people to Slack and just do this over email before you know it, everything gets splintered. And we all know who's going to win that, right? You, I, when I was a college professor, I couldn't tell the department chair, yeah, dude, I only use Slack. <laughs> Who the hell am I? Um, but if you could get buy-in from that level, it, well, look, you know, the head honcho is doing it. You need to be doing it too. But th- that's an interesting point. Um, there's a couple of times people ask me who owns Slack or who owns internal communication or collaboration. And I said, well, it's kind of HR, but everyone needs to do it. So I'd hate to say, hey, well, communication, that's HR's issue. I mean, new product development or research or technology, I could see that falling into one department. But I hear what you're saying, an internal comms department, not that you only have to use Slack internally, because we all know about Slack Connect and third parties and all that, but Mm -hmm. probably is the closest thing to owning it. But I would hate to say, look, I'm not in internal comms department. I don't need to use Slack because that's nonsense. Yeah, I think we're all responsible, right? There's, we're all responsible for how we create our channels and, you know, be consistent and intentional with the channel name, the topic of the channel. There's no, there's no, even within a channel, there's no owner of the channel. We're all accountable within Slack, which I think makes it be such a great community tool and, and have all of us coming together to, to make this thing really work. But it doesn't help, or I'm sorry, it doesn't hurt rather when you've got internal comms that are just killing it every day in Slack or when the, uh, just recently I saw a note from a CEO of one of our clients um, who said, this is the last email that I'm sending internally. I've decided to make the switch to Slack. So I know it's going to be hard. I'm, I'm obviously, uh, I don't have word, uh, a quote exactly, but essentially the essence was, I know it's going to be hard, but let's try to do this together. And I love that because it is, it is an effort that takes everyone. That's a different tone though. I thought you were going, I thought the <laughs> person was going to put this as the last email that I'm sending. I'm going to be using Slack and then mic drop emoji or mic drop animated GIF. <laughs> Not but, quite there yet, but maybe, maybe next maybe. year. Well, it, it's interesting that you mentioned that there's no channel owner in Slack. I know when I was writing the Zoom for Dummies book, I was surprised to see that in Zoom, because most people like this were recording on Zoom, only use it for video, but it does have very similar functions for channels and uh, sending files and code snippets and, and even apps. They they used to call them zaps, but I think the zappier folks said, dude, that's our term. Um, we're not, you're not allowed to do that. But in Zoom, there is a channel admin. And if you want to leave the channel, it's going to say you need to appoint another channel admin who can kind of govern that. And you and I both know with Slack, you've got different roles, not to get too into the weeds. But if you're a guest, you can do things or single channel guest versus multi-channel. If you're an enterprise org owner versus just a workspace owner, blah, blah, blah. But I I agree. No one really owns it in the traditional sense. Um, And to the extent that someone may leave an organization, that person is inactive, but all those messages are still there versus an inbox, which basically dies when someone leaves the company. Um, I think it's just a different way of thinking about it. And it does seem like more people, you know, Slack's user numbers aside, I don't know what they are these days, but 
have kind of got on board that there is a better way of doing it. And, and even the whole external thing with, with Slack connect. I mean, when I've heard people say, yeah, you know, well, you're in a different organization, so we have to use email. I go bullshit. Yeah, no, it's a game changer. I mean, what are the, I mean, we have so many Slack connect channels internally at Solemn because you want to meet your customers where they're at. And so back to your point earlier, if we're trying to work with a client who's on Slack and we're still wanting to communicate with them via email, that's not going to work. We need to communicate with them in Slack. So um, they are incredibly empowering, um, building those relationships. And I think whereas the formality of email really goes away with Slack and you can you can really get to know each other, I think, a lot more through Slack than traditional you know, methods. So true that as the kids say, I get you out of here (laughs) on this. What book are you currently reading? Well, you you mentioned I was reading future forum. Um, I love that one. And then I did, I did actually bring out wired in a week from a discussion that we had some time ago. It was a book about um, the adoption of America online 20 years ago. I was feeling a bit nostalgic. So I wanted to flip back through that. The only book I ever read on AOL was the Kara Swisher one from, I think, 1998, if I'm not mistaken. And I just started reading, um, you ever see the movie Heat with Pacino and De Niro? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my favorites. Well, Michael Mann just did a book with a 15 or 16 time um, fiction author called Heat 2. And it's about the characters before and then during and then after. So I barely read fiction, but for that one, I said, oh my gosh, I, I got to learn more about these these characters. And I, I just started it today. I think it dropped yesterday and I'm about 80 pages into it. Oh my goodness. Good for you. Yeah. Christine, thanks so much for taking the time. I enjoyed it. Oh, Phil, thanks for having me. Take care. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash phil simon i've set up a number of different tiers including early access and podcast sponsorships thanks for listening to conversations about collaboration if you like what you heard and how can you not please download like and or subscribe see you next time